sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Biz Talk Radio is proud to bring you... Investor's Edge with Gary Kulbaum. Straight talk about you and your money. You can reach Gary now at 877-747-EDGE. That's 877-747-3343. Here is your host, Gary Kulbaum. And welcome once again to Investor's Edge. I'm Adam Sarhan, in for Gary Kay, who's out today. Today is Thursday, August 22nd, 2019, and we have a very good show lined up for you tonight. It's an action-packed show. I want to thank you very much for being here. Before we jump into the show, I'd like to just go over some quick notes. As you know, this is a show about you and your money and all the fun points in between. Uh, just as a quick reminder, if you don't get this show in your city, you can go to GaryK.com and listen live or archive. Uh, we're live Monday through Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Also at GaryK.com, you can follow Gary on Twitter by just pressing the button. You can subscribe to get Gary's morning notes sent directly to your inbox. Email him, read the commentary, ask about what he does, engage with him. He's a fantastic resource. And you can subscribe to ConvictionLeaders.com, which is a great, great note that he uh, puts out. And that's a fantastic – it's a free trial. You take it for a month. It's a fantastic way of staying ahead of the market on top of – just about every tick without being involved with every tick. And uh, always just isolating strength shows you leadership, helps, you know, gives you charts, commentary, and a whole lot more. And you can uh, subscribe or get the free trial at convictionleaders.com or click on the big banner on garyk.com. Uh, without further ado, we have a few different um, – let's talk about some highlights for the show today. We want to talk about the market action of late. Gary's done a fantastic job of keeping you ahead of what's been going on. Briefly touch on that. I'll give you the important levels of support and resistance to watch help you filter out the noise. I'll also give you some latest headlines that came out today to keep you up to speed with what's happening. Uh, talk about Boeing a little bit. Gary's talked about Boeing in uh, you know, just recently and give you the latest update there. A few more earnings stories, retail stories, sectors, and, and then uh, some more just bigger picture type themes. But for now, let's go ahead and um, just talk about the major indices. It's how I like to start the show and give you the important levels to watch. On the downside, you can watch the recent lows or for a clean line in the sand, the 200-day moving average line. And if you want to see where it is, you can go to any basic free charting service and get it. You can go to stockcharts.com. We have no affiliation with them whatsoever, but it's there, the 50 and the 200 for anything you want, right on stockcharts.com. But they're all, I mean, you go to, I'm sure, Yahoo Finance, Google Finance, wherever you want, you can pick up the 50 and the 200, the standard moving averages that most people use to follow the market. And because they're used so often, they tend to have weight, more weight than other moving averages. So the 200-day moving average, if you look at the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ, they've, the recent pullback pulled right into the 200. For the Dow, it briefly broke below there, but just one or two days. The S&P didn't break the 200, and the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 did not break the 200 as well. So that's why, for me, the important line in the sand on the downside for support would be that 200-day moving average. Now, it's important to note for the Russell, which is the small cap uh, stocks, the Russell 2000, and the mid cap stocks, the MDY, are both trading near, if not just below the 200. So the mid caps, the MDY, is just above it, but it was below it again for a little bit you know, longer than the, uh, the other indices. And the Russell, the IWM, is a good ETF that tracks the Russell. That, was, that is below the 200 as of uh, where we are right now. But the, this distance between the 200 and the 50 has really narrowed out a lot in the Russell because the, the Russell just hasn't gone anywhere for such a long amount of time. And it's underperformed in this latest leg higher most of this year. You know, if you look at the other major indices on a year-to-date basis, the other indices are up a decent amount. The Russell's up as well, but not as much as the other indices. That's why the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ are outperforming in the short term. So that's just why, for me, I'm using a 200-day moving average for the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ. Some people ask, what about the Russell and the, the MDY, the you know, mid-caps and the small caps? Not as much, just because the action there isn't as warranted. So support for the small ones and the mid-caps, you know, the Russell, if you want to look at support, just look at the recent lows. And if the lows are taken out of August, you know, the monthly lows uh, was on August 15 for the Russell, then support's broken and odds favor lower prices will follow. Interestingly enough, if you go back to May, the low there in the IWM was right around 145 and change. The low in August was right around 145 and change, if not uh, briefly dip below there, 
it closed at 145.49. The intraday low was what 144.79. So right around 145 is support for the Russell or the IWM. And if that level's taken out, then odds favor lower prices are going to follow. On the upside, oh, before I go there, let me tell you about the MDY as well. So support for the mid caps as well, you can use that same August 15 low. And for the MDY, you can use uh, the low there was 332.77. And you can go back and look at the low from back in May, and the low there was 328.72. So again, that's how this works, ladies and gentlemen. I don't make this up. It's just literally looking at old chart lows, looking at important inflection points, looking at where the money's going is the important thing, and then making intelligent decisions. And that's why for me, it's, it's always just, I always say the market is speaking, and I like to ask, are you listening? Our job as investors and traders is to be aligned with what's happening in the market at any given moment. So when you can identify support, and you can say, okay, here are the lines in the sand that I'm paying attention to. All things being equal, August, for simplicity, for all of the major indices, you can look at May's low and August's low. They're more or less in the same part ballpark for most of the indices. Not all of them, but for most of them. If one of those two lows is broken, or early June for the NASDAQ 100, but if you know May, June's lows, let's put it that way, are taken out, then odds favor lower prices are going to follow. That's it. It's that simple. Until support is broken, we have to expect the sideways slash sloppy action to continue. So yeah, for the major indices, it's June 3rd's low, for those of you that are following, or you know June's low. In the Russell, it was May low. But the May slash June's low in the major indices, and then August lows. So the first level I'm watching is August lows, and then the second one would be the low from back in June or in May, depending on the index, you know, the, you know, the index that you're following. As long as August lows hold, which would be the first level of support that I'm watching, and then the second would be May and June's, we have to, by definition, expect this sloppy sideways action to continue, or higher prices. Because the only way the market's going lower is if those lows are taken out. It sounds overly simplistic, but that's just the reality of the situation. And part of my job is to help make sense of, filter out all the noise and help you focus on the facts that matter. What I'm seeing now is constructive action. The market sold off hard a few weeks ago in early August. Now it's trying to stabilize. On the upside, the area of resistance, which remember is like a ceiling, to watch is the 50-day moving average for just about all the major indices. For the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ, and the NASDAQ 100 for that matter. Watch the 50-day moving average. For the Russell, you can watch the 200-day and then watch the 50. But again, just watch the 50-day because the Russell can't go to new highs without getting above the 50-day. And the same thing with the MDY. It needs to get above the 50-day. It's that simple. Until then, we have to expect this sideways action to continue. Today, the market sold off hard in the morning. It rallied up, hit the 50, and then fell. So the 50 acted as resistance. And then midday, it stabilized. And then it tried to rally again towards the afternoon. All in all, it's another quiet close. Decent action. Consolidating quietly as volume dries up just below resistance. One good day up, breaks above the 50, we could be off to the races. I don't mean that's all things being, you know, there's, again, off the races, meaning we could hit new highs in the not too distant future if we're able to break above the 50-day moving average in all of the major indices. Right now, we've got quiet consolidation after a big sell-off. You know, the market sold off from the end of July slash early August in, after the Fed cut their rates, surprisingly, but it was also when Trump raised tariffs the end of July, and then hit the 200, bull showed up, defended support, and now we're consolidating below the 50. So if we can just to wrap up, 50-day moving average is resistance. It's like a ceiling. You break above there, odds favor we're going higher. The 200-day or August lows are important areas of support to watch. If we break below there, we're going lower. Until either one of those events occur, we're moving sideways. That's simple. Up next, we'll talk sectors, stocks, a whole lot more. I'm Adam Sarhan, and this is the one and only Investor's Edge. 
It's time to switch on the integrator units and get the brain cells working. You're listening to... Hey, this promises to be fun. Investor's Edge. The last bastion of quality programming. With Gary Coldbaum. It doesn't get better than this. Welcome once again to Investor's Edge. I'm Adam Sarhan, in for Gary Kay. Just as a quick recap, if you missed any part of the show, we spent the first part of the show going over the major indices, outlined important areas of support and resistance for you to watch. August lows are near-term support for the major indices and the near or near-term resistance of the 50-day moving average. You want to see the market close above there and then continue to rally, follow through higher. You want to see it move up. One or two days above there, if it's a wimpy one or two days and then rolls back over again, not the best sign. A big, strong burst above the 50 on heavy volume would be an ideal scenario for the bulls. Now, other news. So Gary's been talking about Boeing for a long time, and he's been mentioning the fact that it should be avoided because of all the problems they have with the 737 jet and all that fun stuff. Today, I received a note from him intraday to emphasize the fact that – well, first off, to emphasize the fact that Boeing may be ramping up production of the 737 next year upon approval. So it may be turning a quarter – a corner, excuse me. It may be turning a corner, if I can speak properly. That would help. And what's happening now is you see a big stock like Boeing had some news, sold off. Not to say that this move is over, not to say that, hey, all things are clear. This is not a green light. It's not a recommendation. You know all the rest of all the disclaimers. It's just notif- I, I telling you or we're telling you what's happening and then sharing some observations for informational purposes. Now, that being said, when you see a big stock like Boeing or back in the day with the oil spill with um, BP, or you can look at uh, Volkswagen with their energy crisis a while ago. The list goes on and on and on and on. You get these big, big type of negative news events that scare people into selling the stock in the short term. But in the intermediate and longer term, cooler heads tend to prevail in most cases, assuming it's not an Enron or a WorldCom or some kind of crazy crisis that'll just cripple the company. But assuming it's just a, <clears throat> a scary headline that can be eventually, the company can eventually put behind it. Facebook, another good example of a stock that sold off hard on news into January of this year, actually, December, and then turned around and just took off. Hasn't recovered all of the damage from last year, from the data scandal and Cambridge Analytica and all that fun stuff. But you see this often. You see these companies have these big, big, big sell-offs. And that brings me to my next point, which is how to profit from time. Now, Wall Street has a fancy term called arbitrage. If you're not familiar with arbitrage, it's just basically when you make the observation of prices moving here, prices moving there. There's an anomaly between two prices, the way they're quote-unquote supposed to be reacting or trading, and then you can buy one that's undervalued and sell one that's overvalued, for example. That could be an arbitrage play. So, and I don't want to get too deep into arbitrage because this is just a play on the word arbitrage, but I come up with this, well, there's this concept that I like to use. It's called time arbitrage. I don't want to take credit for inventing that term because who knows, someone else might have used it. But um, I like to say time arbitrage is a good way for traders to profit. Because what happens is, as you know, long-term investors buy and hold or buy and hope, and they don't care if the stocks go down X amount of percent, 30, 40, 50 percent. They're just playing a different game because their time horizon is just different, and their, their whole everything is different. From a trader's point of view, most traders are shorter term in nature, and they want to get in, and they want to get out. When things are going well, they're in. When things are going bad, they get out. It's a very lucrative way to play the game, very lucrative. Time arbitrage is something that where you basically you arb time. So, for example, you know a lot of people are selling and getting scared on quote-unquote bad news. If the company can get past that news and you can step up when others are fearful, and this is not a recommendation to buy every time there's a bad scandal because, again, each scandal is different and you don't know how long it will last for and you don't want to type your money in something that's going down, but it's just something to watch because if and when the company can get past that scandal, 
you can step in and make a killing because you're profiting from other people's fear and fear and greed are the two primary drivers that drive asset prices or just markets in general. So time arbitrage, put simply, is the difference between short-term myopic traders, and this happens all the time on multiple time frames, by the way, that buy or sell based on any event. It doesn't have to be a big news event. It could just be a sell-off into the 50, a sell-off into the 21-day moving average, whatever the news may be, whatever action may be happening, where you can identify, you can remain patient. You know, a lot of people buy, like to chase stocks. They see a stock moving higher, they want to buy it. They want to buy it, they want to buy it, and then eventually it stops moving up, and then it pulls back. They get stopped out, many times lose money, and then it turns around and goes higher without it. Raise your hand if that's happened to you. I have my hand up. It's happened to me, especially in the early days. So time arbitrage applies to the fact that when you see stuff, you see things happening, you can learn to anticipate other people's behavior. And then wait. Use time to your advantage. If you know what's going to happen most of the time when these stocks sell off, enter any reason you want, and you wait, and it's a healthy pullback, so to speak, or, and or if it's not healthy, it could be a brutal sell-off, but you see a stock turning the corner and the news could be behind it, that negative news, that negative whatever it was, maybe just a pullback to the 50, whatever the case may be. And then you can buy the bounce after the dip. You know, I was on with Liz uh, and Fox Business years ago, and they had asked, how do you buy the dip? And I said, I don't buy the dip. I buy the bounce after the dip. Because to me, that's what works. I never know how far or how deep or how long a dip is going to last. But if the stock does turn the corner and it gets back above you know, highs or inflection points is what I call them. It could be downward trend lines, could be support, excuse me, it could be resistance, it could be old chart highs, it could be a series of many different things. But it gets going and it's turned the corner. And this is, lots of times it happens before the news is actually out that the uh, scandal or whatever the negative headline was is over. The price of the stock tends to ha move before Main Street. I don't know why that is, it's just that's what I've noticed, it's an observation over the years. And if you can notice that there's a change in trend, Paul Tudor Jones, one of the billionaire investors out there, he goes, that's the best time to make the big money because it's a great risk-adjusted time to enter because you have a very clear exit if you're wrong. And remember, at the end of the day, it's all risk. So again, time arbitrage, you're just being a little patient and you're making money based on other people's fear and quick knee-jerk reactions. Up next, we've got a lot more to cover. I'm Adam Sarhan, and this is the one and only Investor's Edge. America is talking. Investors Edge. You gotta be pleased with that. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. With Gary Coltbaum. So highly recommended. You're gonna feel better if you talk to him. And welcome once again to Investors Edge. I'm Adam Sarhan, in for Gary K. In case you missed any part of the show, you can go to GaryK.com, usually after 8 or 9 o'clock Eastern, and listen to the show on demand. You can pause it, rewind it, fast-forward it, and uh, if you miss any part of the show, just you know pause it and rewind it and listen to it again and again if you want. Uh, and it's available on any device, on a computer, tablet, or smartphone. Now, uh, we spoke about the market at the beginning part of the show. We went over the major indices, gave you the important levels of support and resistance to watch. Then we spoke about Boeing, how they're maybe increasing their production in the 737 jets in February, according to a, reporter, a report from Reuters today. Fed has a lot of news coming out there in Jackson Hole, beautiful part of the country. If you haven't been, definitely recommend it. Uh, Fed's out there every year in the summer. In August, they have this, their annual central bank symposium or meeting where a lot of central bankers go to Jackson Hole and they discuss central banking issues. And a lot of the Fed heads came out today, mixed readings, but a lot of them are trying to say that they want to avoid cutting rates again in September. But they have an open mind. You know, Dallas's Fed, uh, well. Oh, yeah, why not? The Dallas Fed head Kaplan said that he wants to avoid cutting rates again in September, but he, quote-unquote, has an open mind. A few other Fed 
officials came out earlier and said uh, some for it, some against it. The minutes of the Fed, the last Fed meeting came out yesterday, and the minutes were basically saying, yeah, we're not too sure if we're going to be cutting again. We're not cutting again. Trump, of course, wants the Fed to keep cutting because it's going to be great stimulus for the economy heading into the election. Plus, Trump's a fan of low interest rates in general, so that could, you know, just a, it's a positive for his for for he doesn't see a negative, and for he's pushing he's putting pressure on Powell to keep cutting rates in the Fed. And then a few other things of note that are uh, coming out tomorrow, which is Friday, Fed, uh, the head of the Fed, Powell, Jay Powell is going to come out and basically give his comments on what he thinks the Fed should do. And that's something to be watched. Not so much his comments. It's more that I'm paying attention to how the market reacts to the comments. Because that's really important. When you can understand how the market reacts to the comments, then you're able to say, okay, this is either bullish or it's bearish. If he comes out and hints that he's open to either more selling, sorry, more cutting of rates or easy money. That's kind of the word I was looking for, not selling, but more easy money metrics, whatever the case may be, however he packages that, I wouldn't be surprised to see the market jump and jump above the 50-day moving average and do so on some decent volume. If he comes out and he's somewhat neutral and or hawkish, then we could see a little bit of a decline, a dipsy doodle like Gary likes to say, and see the market pull back a little bit. Unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball. I was going to say I don't have my crystal ball with me. I just don't have a crystal ball, period. And when you're dealing with navigating the unknown, which by definition is the market, because nobody knows what's going to happen the very next tick, let alone what's going to happen tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now, it's really important. And I emphasize it. I can't emphasize it enough. I mean, it's really, really important to measure risk. Because at the end of the day, we're buying stocks, sure. You're buying options, you're buying futures, you're selling options, futures, or stocks, whatever you're trading or investing, even house, real estate, whether it's diamonds, doesn't matter what you're buying. As for investment purposes, not gum or candy or gas, but when you buy for an investment or for a trade with the expectation of a profit, ladies and gentlemen, it's extremely important to understand what you're really buying and selling. And it's not the ticker. We all are buying and selling risk. And that's extremely, extremely important concept to understand because when you understand what you're actually doing, it's much easier to play the game. And when you understand what you're doing and how to make money doing it, boom, everything changes. Because when you don't look, fall in love with the stock and you don't look at, hey, this is a great company, look at the earnings and sell yourself on their story or fall in love with the story, rather, not even the stock, but you fall in love with the story, you can remain objective. And part of what I do and what I teach and uh, what I help people with, with one-on-one coaching and the newsletter and everything I do, is to help people make great decisions with their money. And the core premise comes down to making objective, rational decisions, not emotional decisions. And it sounds simple, but it's one of the hardest things for people to do. I mean hard with a capital H because people are emotionally attached to their money. It's just a fact. We all have what's called cognitive biases. There's something called a blind spot bias. You go into a room of 100 newlyweds, you ask them, how many of you think you're going to get divorced? Nobody raises their hand. Meanwhile, statistics shows us half of them are getting divorced, if not more. I speak a few times a year at different conferences around the country. I always ask how many people here think they can beat the market. Invariably, everybody's hand goes up. Or the vast majority of the room. I don't want to say everybody because some people literally take what I say literally. It's not literally everybody. The vast majority of people raise their hand. Statistics shows us the vast majority are not going to beat the market. So that's one of the cognitive biases that impacts our decisions. So one of my whole life missions with work, outside of family and all the personal stuff, but with work, is to help break down my own, what I call mental walls. And mental walls are just simply psychological barriers that stop us from getting ahead. Enter any goal you want. You want to lose weight. You want to make money. You want to trade. You want to have a relationship. Whatever it is, build your business, whatever it is. And if you have interest, you can go to Adam Sarhan, that's A-D-A-M-S as in Sam, A-R-H-A-N dot com, and get in touch there. More than happy to help. 
And the whole concept there, you can click on the uh, business solutions and take my business to the next level and submit a form that way. And the whole concept there, ladies and gentlemen, or even the personal one, doesn't matter, is for you to make objective, rational decisions. Because when you're making emotional decisions, what ends up happening? Nine out of ten times, it's not the best decision. Oh, by the way, you go to adamsarhan.com and then click on the contact form at the bottom with the contact link. And there's a phone number and email and all that fun stuff right there. If you want to email me, we can get in touch. I'm happy to help. The way I say makes sense, and you're probably nodding your head a lot. It happens to me a lot. But implementing it is where the rub is. It's very difficult to implement, just like losing weight. Why are most people overweight? It's very simple. Calories in versus calories out. If you consume less calories than you burn over time, you do that consistently, you will lose weight. It's very simple, but it's very difficult to practice. Money. How come most people aren't financially well off? Because it's a simple formula, cash flow in versus cash flow out. People tell me, oh, I have to make more money. No, you don't. You make $10 million a year. You spend 11, you're still negative one. When you understand, you control the cash flow, spend less than you make, you do that consistently over time and you invest it properly, boom, you can make money and accumulate wealth. But it's very difficult to do in practice. Same thing here. Well, Adam, I can make rational decisions. Of course, I'm not emotional. Really? <laughs> okay. When you understand how people buy, the psychology behind they buy anything, it doesn't matter what you buy. We all buy with our emotions and we justify it with our logic. By the way, I have a book coming out in the next year or so. It'll be called, it'll be titled Psychological Analysis. How to make money, outsmart the market and join the smart money circle. And the whole concept there is to do just that, is to make rational, objective, logical decisions day in, day out, and not emotional ones. When you make emotional decisions, you buy something, you buy a car, you buy a house, you buy a stock, you buy anything, a piece of gum, it doesn't matter. That's not an absolute necessity. You're doing it nine out of 10 times with your emotions. I like that. Now you go buy a necessity like milk or diapers or pump gas. You're not doing it because you like it. You're doing it because you have to. In some cases, you might go to your favorite gas station. I know people that are loyal to Shell or loyal to Exxon or whatever the case may be. Well, why do they only go to that one gas station? They like it. And what happens is you justify it with emotional logic because you've already made a decision. It's an emotional decision. Then you have to find logic to justify the decision. That's how our brains are function. That's how our brains work. Their pro- brains are programmed that way. We make a decision. We find logic to support the decision. Otherwise, we go crazy. It's that simple. But the problem is after we make an emotional decision, we find logic to justify that decision. Not the best logic out there. So on and so forth. And I'm just touching on it, but you can go much deeper. So just ask yourself these questions as you go forward and you make your decisions. Up next, I'll talk some sectors, some more stocks, and... And that'll be it for the show. I won't keep going on the other stuff. This is just too much to cover. But uh, up next with us, the stocks and sectors. I'll be right back. This is Adam Sarhan, and this is the one only investor's edge. You are listening to. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? One, two, ready, now. go. Action. Investor's edge with Gary Culpa. <laughs> and welcome once again to Investor's Edge. I'm Adam Starhan, in for Gary Kay. In case you're just joining us, we spent the first part of the show going over the major indices, and then we spoke about some time arbitrage, spoke about some buying and what you're actually buying and selling when you buy and sell stocks all day. It's you're buying and selling risk, not really the stock. It's buying and selling risk. But it's important to understand what's going on because a lot of people think they're, oh, I'm buying Apple, I'm buying Facebook, I'm buying whatever the case may be. But really, at the end of the day, you're buying it. We all are buying and selling risk. So when you spend time to look at different pieces of the puzzle, it's important to understand what's actually happening. Because otherwise, you get lost in the weeds. And when you get lost in the weeds, game over. But when you understand what you're actually doing, and then take it a step further, not only are you buying risk, but how you make your decision, you're making emotional, not logical, nine out of ten times decisions. Because I like Apple. Why are you buying it? Well, it's got strong earnings. It's breaking above a downtrend line. It's breaking above the 50. It's getting above resistance. It's a perfect pivot point. Any story, any piece of the puzzle you want to tell yourself, it's because you like it. How come you didn't buy ten other stocks that look good that are doing the same thing? When you understand the dynamics of how you actually make decisions, and you can go back and reprogram your brain, you can see things with the whole different level of clarity. And that's kind of, 
Well, it's, it's what I do. It's what I spend a lot of time doing with, with people all day, every day, both individuals and institutional investors. So um, let's talk about some sectors because good spent a good amount of time on the uh, – on the psychology part, so let's shift back into some sectors. So we spoke about the markets. Said look at support as the August lows and look at resistance as the 50-day moving average. Uh, the financials, XLF. I'm going to fire off a few of these things here just because we're running out of time, so I want to get through on everything. Financials, they're sitting right on the 200-day, have a little downtrend forming. You want to see them break out above the recent highs from August and then get above the 50-day moving average. Until then, it's just blase action. I don't have anything good to say about it except for the fact that it's not falling. The transport's a little bit weaker. It's below its 200, below its 50. But again, hasn't really done much for months and months and months. Remember, stepping back, ladies and gentlemen, the major indices haven't really moved since the beginning of 18. It's almost a year and a half. The market's moved sideways, which, by the way, is normal. It happens after a big move. Remember, back in 2013 and 2014, the market ripped higher. 14 and 15, well, really, 2013 was a better year, and then 14, it kind of topped out and moved sideways. And then 14 and 15 into February, until January slash early February of 2016, so from 14 to the beginning of 16, the market moved sideways, didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, boom. Q1 of 16, market took off and rallied for just about two years until the beginning Q1 of 18. Huge rally from the end of really end of 15, I'd say beginning of 16, or all the way up until the beginning of 18. And then since then, you move sideways. Yet again, to consolidate a very strong move. And we're trading 5% below an all-time high in the S&P. Just keep that in mind as you step back. Don't forget to step back and look at the forest, not just the trees. And really, not just the leaves on the trees. It's so important. I see you know so many people just, oh, look at this tick, look at that tick, and they get caught up in the minutia, and they don't even look at monthly charts, they don't look at quarterly charts, they don't look at annual, annual charts. It's so important, ladies and gentlemen, just shift the focus. Look at the forest every once in a while. Because if this is another long sideways consolidation after a very strong rally, and we break out and go topside, boom, we're off to the races again. With, by the way, easy money from the Fed and other central banks. Fed cutting rates. Of course, it's in the market higher. Trade war, let's just say, gets resolved. Or the big step in that direction ahead of the election. Boom. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm bullish, I'm bullish, I'm bullish. No. Because we could easily, just as easy, roll over. But until support breaks, I don't want to sit here and fight the tape. And more importantly, I want to be able to see things clearly and see what's actually happening. And more importantly than that, be prepared for any scenario that may unfold. If the market rolls, remember, the market can only do one of three things. It can go up, it can go down, or it can go sideways. That's it. It doesn't matter. After you buy it and go up, down, or sideways, you prepare for all three of those scenarios, you're fine. If the market rolls over, goes down, good night, Irene, we're out, see you later. You've got the levels to watch. If the market goes sideways, more chop city. And the third scenario, if the market decides to break out and go topside, I want to be prepared. And that's why I keep talking about that scenario. Now, transports, we spoke about those. Gold and silver, GLD, the GDX, the SLV, and the GDXJ, which are the junior miners, all acting very, very well. Strong action across the board. Extended, they need to pull back. Patience here, but just identifying leadership for you. Other areas to watch, XLP, the consumer staple stocks, acting very, very well. XLU, these are the utilities, extended, big rally, especially for utilities. A lot of leading stocks are in these utility groups just because the group itself is acting well. They benefit from lower interest rates, acting well. The IYR, which is a real estate index, ETF, Acting well. We're talking about all this talk about the, in, the yield curve inverting, which happened again briefly today, and that's good for mortgages. Mortgage rates are plummeting, dot, dot, dot. Sure, refinancing helps interest rate-sensitive areas of the market. So just wrapping up, you've got the levels to watch. If you miss any part of the show, you go to GaryK.com and listen on demand. You can pause, rewind, all that fun stuff. So far, so good. Jerome Powell speaks tomorrow. That will be the next big event. Of course, we have to be prepared for any possible news on the trade concerns between Trump and China. But outside of anything... 
big. The market's sitting quietly below the 50-day moving average, and it's attacking well, assuming that it doesn't take out August lows. That's all the time I have for today. It's always a pleasure. I'm Adam Sarhan. Thank you very much for being here. This is the one and only Investor's Edge. This clean edit of Investor's Edge created by Stu Lander. Follow me at twitter.com slash s-t-o-o-l-a-n-d-e-r.